This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 83, with world-renowned photographer Christopher Makos. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Pay attention to what you are doing and do it well. And when you do that well, people will notice. A great quote from this week's guest, Christopher Makos. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I am your host, Nick Onkin, and I am excited to bring this episode to you. The legendary Christopher Makos is today's guest, and he is a legendary photographer. He published over 30 books. His photographs have been published in Interview Magazine, Rolling Stone, Connoisseur, New York Magazine, Esquire, Genre, People, amongst many, many others. His work has been exhibited in museums such as the Guggenheim, the Tate Modern in London, the Whitney Museum. The list goes on. Christopher has led such an interesting life. He worked with Andy Warhol for 10 years and did many books with him. He taught Andy how to use his first camera. He also introduced Keith Haring and Basquiat's work to Warhol. His photographs of Andy sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. He is world-renowned and an amazing guy. He also apprenticed under the famous photographer Man Ray. And something very interesting that we get to talk about, the importance of apprenticeship in art and photography and how you can do that. We learn a lot of things in this episode. We talk about figuring out a way to monetize every bit of your creative self We talk about how doing one creative thing every day leads to success and making sure that that happens. We also talk a lot about surrounding yourself with successful people and the importance of that and different tips that he has for that. We talk about why staying consistent is important. We learn the difference between taking pictures and taking memories. We also learn the value of printing out pictures and why you should never delete files We also learn about the importance of talking about your art in the best way, and we get his advice on doing that. We also learn why you have to learn to be complete by yourself and what the value of that is, and much, much more. Christopher is such a great guy. I learned so much from him in this interview, and I'm grateful for him and his perspective. So with that, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Christopher Makos. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. We have Christopher Makos in the studio, his studio. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much. Welcome to my studio. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I will hopefully we'll take a couple photos to leave up on the uh, podcast page so people can get a sense of of your space here if that's if that's cool because it's very it's very cool. It's a very old old long-time New York studio. And Christopher, if, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing photographer. He his is years and years and he's worked with Andy Warhol. His his work has been exhibited everywhere in all different kinds of museums and we can let him share a little bit more of that. So Christopher, can you just give us a little background where you're from and how you got started? I'm actually originally from Lowell, Massachusetts, the home of Jack Kerouac, Betty Davis, myself. <laughs> 
But like all New Yorkers, um, I didn't stay there very long. I, when I was about uh, 13, we moved to Southern California, and I spent most of those formative teenage years in Los Angeles. And then I realized at, when I was like 19 that uh, I, I wanted to come to New York City because I had heard that it was all happening here. So I did that in the late... 60s, early 70s, and moved to New York City and found myself in the middle of all the creativity that was going on. It was New York City was full of artists, writers, poets, painters, musicians, and I found myself in the middle of all this creativity. And I, I called it that period in New York City, the sort of zenith, the golden age of New York City. Mm. Because as we know now, New York is still happening. It's a great city. It's wonderful to be here. But the arts are now in Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island City. They're kind of not right in the city because it's too expensive for young people to come and apprentice here. So I have spent most of my adult life being my own personal creative force here in the mm. city and um, have loved every minute of it. I still love every minute of it. Um, and pretty much live in the moment. I know you you opened this little piece by talking about, you mentioned the word old. <laughs> you mentioned the word old. I mean, I know what you meant. You meant uh, historical. Historical, let's, yes. Yeah, not, oh, yeah, yeah, not old within that, yeah, that context. Let's put that a better, that's a better word, right? Yeah. And so in my studios, you, as you look around, and maybe, like I said, you'll have a couple of photos to illustrate that, is everything from archival prints for, for your audience that might be familiar with photography because you are a photographer, I'm a photographer. And from our earlier conversations, you had mentioned how you still shoot film. Yeah. And so for my half of my adult life, I, I shot film myself. And so in this studio, we have lots and lots of film photographs. And my very able archivist, Peter Wise, He's in charge of that. But in my own personal life, I'm very much here and now sitting in front of you. And a lot of the work that you see around me is is either my own update of my classical work from my film days or contemporary work of my own or collaborative work that I do with Paul Soberg under the moniker of the Hilton Brothers. Mm, amazing. So growing up, who was the most influential person in your life? Well, I, I actually, my growing up period was when I moved to New York City. Mm. Nothing kind of existed before that. I know a lot of people have memories about when they were in grammar school or they have memories of things like that. But my growing up period started when I actually moved to New York City. And I, I have to say, some of my mentors were people like Man Ray, the great surrealist photographer mm. Man Ray, or Russian painters like Malevich. Uh, constructivist photographers like Hoining and Hoining. Um, I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but um, for me, it's always been about uh, being inspired by creative people, whether it's a poet or a painter or a photographer. It's, it's uh, my camera pretty much is sort of like a paintbrush um, and the sort of end way I deal with it is through the vehicle of photography but I will take what my what my camera captures and put it on anything, whether it's a photo paper, 
a ceramic, uh, a canvas. I'm very mm. much into not limiting myself to this one um, platform. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that about your work. You've got so many books out. You've got surfboard collection with your work on it. It's really beautiful, beautiful stuff. Oh, thank you. So now have you always been, were you always a photographer? Is that what you started out doing or does it, is it uh, something? One of my later? very first things, um, I think like all of us, when we're, when we're in our like 18 or 19, we're not exactly sure. We may have an area that we like, but we're not sure. So we'll try a few things. So I, played with music. I actually acted. I had friends who were actors and I somehow found myself acting on a stage in, um, in Connecticut. Uh, but I realized I couldn't remember lines. So that didn't work out very good because, yeah. um, it's embarrassing to be on a stage and having other people cue you into like remembering a line. So that didn't work out. And I, at the time I actually liked playing with music you know, feedback from computers. No, at the time there weren't computers. Feedback from like just playing with a microphone in front of a bass unit or something. So I, I played with that for a while. But that led me into uh, being a photo editor with at the time Circus Magazine, which was a heavy metal rock and roll magazine. Mm. And so I started, my very first early photographs were going to concerts like Led Zeppelin concerts or Kiss concerts mm. or Led Zeppelin concerts and being in that mosh pit just in front of the stage and getting these really fun pictures. For me, it was the, it, it was the total experience of being so close to, to musicians doing what they do best, playing mm. music and me photographing them in that process of creating music. So, uh, my whole history is sort of checkered with being around creativity. Mm, that's great. When did you uh, kind of start really moving towards photography and getting connected with Man Ray and, and, and that era? Uh, well, I, I had, uh, when I was editing this magazine, Circus Magazine, I realized that I wanted to be more involved myself in it. And at, at that period, I my first exhibition in New York city was in 1976 at a gallery down in Soho. Uh, and it was an exhibition called step on it. Mm. And I took all of my black and white photographs and I put them on the floor of the gallery space and then covered them with plexiglass. And it was the idea of manipulating the viewer. You know, when you go into a gallery and opening you, you, you walk in and you sort of expect all the photos to be on the wall and sort of your eyes are, you know, your eyes go to the wall and that's where they stay. They don't move around or you may be checking out people or whatever, but they're always in this one focal plane. And I wanted to sort of manipulate the viewer and get the viewer to do something more than that mm -hmm. one thing. So I had met Andy Warhol uh, through friends of mine, Dotson Raider, mm. at an exhibition uptown at the Whitney. And he said, come and hang out at Max's and... I had just moved from Southern California. So the idea of going into dark club, <laughs> hanging out with an old artist guy just didn't appeal to me. Yeah. So I paid no attention to him, but I thought this would be the good time to actually bring him in. Like, Hey, check this out. This is what I'm doing. He wasn't able to come, but Bob Colicello, the then editor of interview magazine, he came, he loved what I had done. This idea said, why don't you come to the factory and meet Andy there? So I did that went to the factory, Andy and I became great friends. And that's when sort of my 
absolutely most serious part of my creative life began mm -hmm. when I sort of partnered up with a famous pop artist like Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I've always been so fascinated with Andy Warhol and the factory and what was it like being there and, and, and being in that experience? You know, uh, it's a hard one to describe because, you know, it was, I live in the West Village, that particular factory, and for your listeners, the Warhol factory, there were four factories, because uh, people talk about them or in their, in these movies that are being, that are made about the Warhol factory. The la I was part of the last two factories in the factory that we're talking about, the one at 860 Broadway, which is at 17th Street and Broadway. Mm. So if any of your listeners want to see where the factory was, that's where it is. Mm. And right now it is the home of a Petco store. So oh. it's so interesting that it went from like the epicenter of uber coolness to a Petco yeah. uh, animal store. Ugh. But um, going there... It wasn't, it wasn't like a job. It was just this hub of creativity because Andy was always producing paintings. I was there photographing things. Uh, he liked what I did. I liked what he did. And so we collaborated in projects. Um, mm. I kind of pushed him more in photography. If people are f familiar with his work, the famous uh, Marilyn Monroe pictures or the uh, Elvis Presley work, he used to appropriate all of his photography. He would take things from newspapers, magazines, cut them out, and then make silk screens. Hmm. And he was transitioning from that into using his own pictures. And so our chance meeting was perfect because I was a photographer. Mm -hmm. I could sort of help him along. And I was sort of his de facto photography mentor. So mm. it was a perfect marriage for us because uh, he was listening to me about how to take pictures and I was learning from him how to be a businessman. Oh, that's great. That's another big topic of, of this podcast is, is making a living with your art. And how did you, you know, during those times, how were you making a living? Well, Andy was giving me assignments to do things like photograph stuff for him. So I was making a living that way. Mm. I mean, basically, I would say I was apprenticing with another artist. And that's the, that's the good news. But the bad news is in New York City now, it is very hard to apprentice with artists because uh, studio spaces are really expensive to be in New York City as an artist is really expensive. So that's how you get into a scene is you've got to apprentice. If you want to be a fashion designer, the best thing to do is find a successful fashion designer mm. and go say, I'll work with you just to be with you and apprentice with you or to find a painter. If you're a painter, find a painter that you can, but it's so expensive here in the city yeah. or to find a gallery that will show your work and once again, it is so expensive to be here. It is very hard to apprentice. The most inexpensive real estate now is on the internet. So if you can find somebody that you like that's doing work on the internet, see if you can somehow partner up with that person and be creative with that person that's more successful than you and see if there's a way that you can collaborate with that person. And and maybe you won't make money right at the beginning, but they will teach you how to make money by mm. just listening to them or being around the situation. Yeah, that's a that's a really really great advice, and and it's it's something that I've always wondered. It's it's so hard to get in with, especially photographers. I, I find photographers that one aspires to. It's it's hard to get in touch with people like that. 
it becomes harder and harder because, as you know, big celebrities nowadays have teams of people. I would call them walls around them mm. to get to these people. When I was sort of experiencing my growth in New York City, I could be at Studio 54 or in the city or something, and you could just go up to somebody and say, hey, I want to do your portrait. Do you want to come to the studio? And they'd say, sure, let's do that. In today's world, that would never happen. You'd have to go through an agent, through a manager. You'd have to go through so many people. And then mm. in the end of the whole process they'd want to know what's this for why is it for you can't take yeah. the picture it it gets the idea of walls around everything is so of the moment and it is very hard to to do that i mean my advice to anybody is give given all of these mm. things that are going on i would still suggest if you pass a celebrity or person on the street don't be afraid to just go up to them, have a conversation and say, hey, you have such an interesting thing or I like the way you look or something. Don't be afraid to ask. People don't know what you want until you ask them. And often, if you have the right personality and you're friendly and genuine and real, people will respond to that and you may end up photographing that person that you thought you might want to photograph. Mm, that's great. And that will lead to something else. Mm. Is that so? How did you kind of build your name and your career? Um, do, you, do you think it's is it by being yourself, by being your true, honest self? I always tell people, don't go after money. Uh, if you want to do that, we'll go be a banker. Do what you do and do it with so much love that people will see the honesty in what you do and money will come to you. Mm. Just keep doing the same thing over and over. Don't go from one thing to another thing to another thing. Mm. Uh, I remember one really interesting tip that the surrealist photographer Man Ray said that find a photo that you like on your contact sheet or in the case of a, a digital shoot, find the photo that you like. And then if that's the photo that you like, people say, oh, show me a photo that's your, you know, your favorite photo. Keep giving that photo the same thing over and over because that becomes a famous photo. In other words, young people are so excited to keep showing the new thing. Like, oh, you know what I mean? So what you do is you keep showing the same thing over and over, and that becomes a famous photo because you have you made the decision of that. So in hmm. the case of oneself, keep showing that same personality over and over and that interesting personality someone, and, the, and people will be attracted to that because they'll see consistency in that. And you'll either get that job or you'll be able to be around that successful person over and over again. And success rubs off on you. So um, my suggestion is don't be around deadbeats, be around people that are <laughs> successful or interesting because success and interesting rubs off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Life is about, about the people that you surround yourself with. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you make. And what about how, you know, you evolve as an artist, right? Yeah. And you, and your taste changed. I mean, I know that's, I'm going through a lot of that myself is what I was shooting a couple of years ago. I'm not as interested in now I'm interested in shooting different things. How does that relate with shooting the same thing consistently? Oh no, no, I wasn't saying shoot the same thing consistently. I was saying when you do a uh, I mean, that's a good point. You know, make a decision on what you want to do, mm. of course, you know. I mean, you have to do that to make money. You have to show consistency to the uh, sort of bigger world out there. You have to say, oh, 
my thing is to photograph beautiful cats. I mm. do the best thing at cat pictures or to photograph uh, flowers or whatever it is. Uh, you have to show that consistency. I meant find a picture that you like, and if you want to make that picture a famous picture, keep showing that for six months over and over again. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Um, but to your other point, uh, to make money, you have to show consistency. I, I know that uh, clients want to see the same thing. It's for everybody. I, I know that in the case of Andy Warhol, people only wanted to see his kind of pop art stuff. Mm. If he went off into another tangent, they weren't that interested in it because people have invested money in that particular style of painting. Mm. And it's the same with photography. If you have clients that you're working with, they want to see that consistency. I guess it's for the people that are growing into a career, I would say be consistent and maybe lie a lot too. Just show this one side of yourself <laughs> to that particular commercial client. You, you you don't have to be the same person to everybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, the person that you are to your clients doesn't have to be the person that you are to your friends. Mm. It's sort of the way that when um, people ask politicians a question, you don't have to, or anything, you don't have to answer the question that people ask you. You can, if you have an agenda, just answer the question to whatever you want. If you have a career that you want to promote and people are asking you questions about something else, just talk about yourself and the career that you want to promote. Mm, that's, that's good. Now, what do you, what about in the sense, uh, especially with digital democratization that's happening nowadays, do you think it, people are getting more inundated with imagery and it's kind of getting washed out? Well, I think there'll be some kind of moment of uh, reckoning with that. It's sort of the same way that, you know, when digital music came into effect and nobody had vinyl anymore. But I just noticed that recently a lot of the big names like Adele or maybe, I don't know about Justin Bieber, but a lot of people put out vinyl versions of whatever they did recently. Mm. And I just see that you can buy new uh, record players and stuff. So what's old again becomes new. So I, I think that there will be there will be a point where people will want to actually see their pictures because we had this discussion earlier about how everybody thinks that they're taking pictures. Well, they are taking pictures, but they're more like they're taking memories. Mm. I don't know if they're taking pictures. I mean, they're learning. They are, they are training their eyes to see better, which I, mm. I love that idea of people actually learning how to see because for a long time they didn't know how to see. And so us as photographers, we would take pictures and show our pictures to those people and help them see. They're learning how to see on their own, but we can educate them more by taking spectacular pictures and actually printing our photographs mm. and showing them either in magazines, art ex exhibits, or in any other platform that we deem right. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I need to print out more. Yeah, my work. I don't. I don't do it enough. Oh, you have to. You have to because it's just like I said earlier. If if the batteries are dead on your phone, or the electricity runs out on your computer or your laptop, you have nothing except memories. So maybe that's why these photos should be called memories and not photos anymore. Yeah, that's why I have so many pictures here because I'm. You know, if the electricity goes out, I'm still a photographer. <laughs> do you know what I mean it's here you yeah. know what I mean yeah absolutely and you know ultimately I talk about uh, they talk about in 2050 about this thing the New York Times talk, and it's not a joke that there's a phrase when when uh, computers 
will have cognitive recognition. So they may come along and say, you know what, folks, you human beings, you don't need electricity. We need more electricity than you. So we're going to shut the grid off. Mm. And you guys can live off of candles because you don't need electricity. We need electricity. So then if we, we're living off a of candlelight, what's going to happen to all those photos, you know? Yeah. So I'm in good shape. You're, you're set. Yeah. You're set. So <laughs> your tip to yourself is note to self, print out more photos. I, I, I must get on that. Yeah. I like that. To everybody out there that's listening, print out more photos. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love, I've, I've even gone back to shooting film because it has, it still has a feel that I enjoy. Yeah. Right. It puts me in a different mindset and in terms of like when I'm shooting. So I need to get some of those printed out. Yeah. Like I said, in an earlier show, we have so many film negatives still sitting here that we've never gone through. I mean, we are constantly going back and finding new things to your point earlier about seeing things as you grow. My suggestion is never delete files, keep everything, especially if you consider yourself an artist, mm. don't throw anything away, save it, because what you thought was just ordinary when you did something four or five years ago, when you go back and relook at it 10, 15 years later, you might find it extraordinary. Mm. You, you'll have a time and age and growth is a great asset to one's brain. You see things in a completely different light. Um, it's so important to grow old. Yeah. It's really, it's a, a great thing. If you are a healthy person and you look at life and you see clearly, hopefully, things only get better, they get clearer, and you're able to pick and choose the photos that you like, the people that you like to be around, the meals that you like to eat, the way you like to get around. Mm. It just gets better as you mature and your brain matures along with you. Absolutely. So what, if you're looking back at your work, you know, from a lot earlier in your career, how has it changed? How has what you see now changed since when you were, since back then? Well, I, you know, I'm not so desperate. I think a young artist, whether whoever you are, a painter, photographer, you're so nervous to sort of get things done and to get the, them done and then show them people and then to figure out a way to make money with your work. And um, with maturing and age and time, that desperation leaves you and you're more able to focus in on what's in front of you. Mm. That's the biggest change. Maybe desperation or maybe anxiety is more. Mm. I, I don't have the same anxiety that I did as a younger photographer. Um, I have different anxieties, but about my work and my photographs, that's completely changed. Uh, I'm not so concerned about acceptance. I'm happy with what I do and hope that people like it. But if they don't like it, it's okay too, you know. Yeah. Before yeah. I used to be like, oh, everybody had to like what I did, and that's not. I don't care about that anymore. Yeah, yeah. If you're <laughs> if you're pleasing everyone, something's wrong, right? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it does. It never works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now jumping back a little bit, you mentioned that uh, that Andy taught you a lot about business, business and, and and art. What what would you say are a few things that he taught you within that? Just keep producing lots of stuff, even if, if something doesn't sell or you can't figure that out. Just keep producing lots and lots of stuff. Uh, keep going with your ideas just because something 
you weren't able to convince a client or a collector to buy this, then go do something else and keep keep producing because mm. something will happen. Um, also, this I keep harping on this idea of consistency. It is really important to be consistent mm. because people won't invest in something that looks like it's a fly-by-night situation. They'll invest in something that's been around or that it looks like it's been around. Mm. So... Uh, um, and the other key thing, it's so important to to do what you love. People can see through stuff. If you're trying to sort of just do something for the sake of the moment or make a quick hit, it, it ultimately never works because mm. people see through that and uh, quick hits never work. Yeah, yeah. It takes, it takes a long time, like time of practice. Right. You have to be consistent with what you do. Yeah. So what did you teach him about photography? I taught him the same thing back about mm. being consistent, about finding subject matters, keep shooting this. I mean, the way to learn is find a subject matter, keep photographing it over and over again. In our case, it was people and objects, which are the kind of same thing. I mean, people often say, you know, what kind of pictures do you take? Well, I, I pretty much do portraits, whether it's a portrait of a building, a person, an object. I mean, a good photographer is always taking portraits. Mm. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. You know yeah. what I mean? Maybe it's in your case, it might be in the street. In my case, it could be in the studio or taking a picture of this laptop would be a portrait. I mean, you're doing a portrait of it. I mean, it's mm -hmm. sort of like, I mean, pay attention to yeah. what you're doing and, and, and do that well. And when you do that well, people will notice. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of projects did you guys collaborate on together? We did a lot of things. I art directed his one of his most famous photography book. It was called Exposures, mm. and it was um, I would take his bad pictures and make them really big, like double page pictures, and I would take his good pictures and make them small, mm. uh, because it was the it was the point of as a photographer, you choose what you decide you want the viewer to see and you make the decision. You don't wait for the audience to decide for you. Mm. Um, it's, it's not that kind of a question. So that was a lot of fun to do is to take his bad pictures, and make them big and his good pictures to make them small. We worked on a collaborative series of pictures called altered image based when we were looking at collaborative ideas, we wanted to take something that had artistic and historical context. And that was when we started to look at the past, we went back to 1921, a series that the surrealist Marcel Duchamp, the painter, mm. and Man Ray, the photographer, did called Rose C'est la Vie. And that was the photographer Man Ray photographed the surrealist painter Marcel Duchamp in the visage of, of a, a lady. So we thought, let's do that together for me and Andy. But we updated that. We just did Andy's face. We didn't put Andy in a dress. Factually, the dress designer, Halston, asked us if we wanted to borrow a dress. We said, no, thank you. Although I wish we would have because those would have been good pictures too. <laughs> but uh, no, Andy was just wearing his usual drag, which was a button-down shirt a tie and jeans and boots. And what we, we just changed his face. We had a makeup artist and this series of pictures called Altered Image. 
And that's been a very famous series of pictures that have been shown in museums all over the world. And uh, wow. And uh, that continues on. It actually was recently renamed in a book called Lady Warhol. And that mm. goes on. I mean, Andy's popularity in the world is never ending. There's always a show going on somewhere in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you worked with him for 10, 10, 20 years somewhere? 10 years from 1976 to 1986 when he died. Okay. Okay. Or 87, maybe. And so since then, what have you, because... Uh, what have you done lately? <laughs> what have you done lately? <laughs> um, well, how's, how's your career evolved? Where, where have you, because I mean, you've, you've evolved, you've seen different things, you, you, want, you get inspired by other things as well. Well, you know, sort of all of the peach people that were part of the Warhol factory, that was like going to the, uh, the Andy Warhol University. You're part of that forever. That's your sort of alumni. Mm. And so there's, with that, going to Harvard or going to an Ivy League school, it comes with responsibilities. So mm. my responsibility from graduating from that particular sort of oeuvre of <laughs> the art world, you know, um, I, I started to do all kinds of things, whether it was doing drawings or silk screens. I sort of, as I mentioned earlier, I love to take my pictures and, do, and deal with them in lots of different ways. So from 86 until the current moment, I have been playing with my pictures in all kinds of ways, working from everybody from the, at the time, working with the Polaroid people, doing SX-70s, mm. to putting together collages for them, doing an absolute mockos, doing a, um, but taking what I do best and doing segmented pictures of a, a vodka bottle, working with all kinds of people and just being my creative self and, and never really, um, selling out. I, I know Bruce Weber always admired me so much because he mm. always talked to me about how he, I never sold out and I never have and I still don't. And people come to me for what I do best, which is my sort of real take on everything. Mm. I mean, granted, sure, we all have to adapt our creativity for a particular client, but that's that's natural and that's normal. You can't mm -hmm. just do nothing. I mean, I I don't, I don't like it when people just say, do anything. I do like a structure mm -hmm. and some kind of constraints. Um, but my most recent things, I had done something with Kiehl's. Uh, they came to me and asked me to design a bottle for the 50th anniversary of their facial astringent. And of course, being an artist, I don't have a fee for that, like a schedule. Like, what do you charge for something like that where they ask you to design a label? And so uh, the guy that works for me, um, we had discussed this and, and says, just charge him $1,000 a year. So that was like <laughs> such a good gig. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So it's sort of like everything from how, how do you figure out how to charge somebody in the case of like running your business? Yeah. Come up with a creative process for everything, whether it's how do you charge people? How do you get the people into your space, into your room? If you're a creative force, be creative in every area. Don't mm. use just a model that doesn't work. One size doesn't fit all. You know, we're all, that, you know, that's, that question that you asked me is such an interesting model because we are always coming up with new models of how do you make a living at being a creative force in your own life. Yeah. I mean, recently we are starting to team up with people that where they want to rent the artwork in the studio. 
So doesn't it make more sense that if, if we're not selling some of this stuff here mm-hmm. and it's just sort of in storage, let's say we have a big brand new building, one of these mega buildings that's going up and somebody comes up and says, oh, we want to do model apartments, but we want to use your art. In the old days, we would just loan them the stuff. Nowadays, we don't loan them the stuff. They rent the art. Mm. It's sort of like... <laughs> We're for rent, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everything. So it's finding ways, new ways of monetizing all of your creativity. Yeah. I mean, that's the key thing. Figure out a way to monetize every bit of your creative self. Yeah, you have to be creative in business. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it doesn't stop with just um, being, you know, creative, taking pictures or doing paintings. Yeah, I've I'm starting to make money doing other things that are not photography as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like and, what? I uh, I've started painting actually, painting walls and doing murals and you know, figuring out how does that collaborate with all the other stuff that I'm doing. It fits in completely. You're a creative person, a good creative person or an interesting one. It they're not just creative in one area. Yeah. And now there's like the, you have the internet that you can also be creative with in business and make money on that, on that front. Every area is open to all of us now. (laughs) That's why I'm saying is the more you grow, the older you get, you realize that there are so many possibilities. I think when you're younger, you, you think there's only like this narrow bandwidth of possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How has the digital transition, how's that, the internet, have you seen that? How's that shifted with you? In your career? It's, you know, uh, it's been great. I've always been the first person in my group of friends to be involved in that. At the time uh, when the internet was just happening and building websites, um, Time Warner came to me and they said, oh, you know, you have all of these pictures of Andy Warhol. We will build a website for you. And I, uh, all of my artist friends, they said, oh, you're going to let Time Warner do this. People will steal your pictures what are you going to do about that? And I thought, you know what, if people that are out there in their home and they have one of my pictures and they want to download them and print them, it's cool with me because I have the original picture. So to me, it was just like getting it out to more people. Mm. And so I was totally, totally happy with that. So I wasn't afraid of that. And a lot of my friends have come around now because as you see, everybody posts everything that they do. I mean, I, I still have some reservations about, as a photographer, like I do post stuff on Instagram and Facebook and all the stuff that you're supposed to do. Sometimes I wonder, like, am I watering down my own ideas? So I I do, I don't, I shouldn't say I have second thoughts. I have thoughts about, I will put this out there, but I won't mm. put that out there. I do have, I still do mm. edit. I think that's the difference between maybe what, you and I do as professional photographers and people that are just taking memories with their cell phones. Yeah. Uh, That's key for us to remember or your listening audience that don't give it all away. Mm. Hold on to some of it for yourself. Mm, That's good. How do you decide and how do you edit, you know, what, what it is that you want to show, what you don't want to show? Is there some sort of process or theory behind that? Um, it's a, it's just at the moment, you know, it's sort of, um, I make that decision. Like 
I do, all of, sometimes my really famous pictures I won't put on Instagram. Mm. I'll just I'll put on mom, like sort of moments. Mm. The stuff that I do on Instagram are more about moments rather than history. Mm. Um, I I don't know why yet. Although when I have something to promote, like a book or something, I'll take those pictures from the book and I'll post them on Instagram. But yeah. I'll, uh, I have a very different way that I deal with uh, my social media pictures than I do than some of the pictures that are here at the studio. Because mm. I want people to come to the studio. Yeah. I, I mean, if it's just all out there, you know, just everywhere in the world, you know, it's okay. But I want them to come here physically because I want to meet them. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to meet the people that I'm showing pictures to, too. I, yeah. I, I like the real interaction of people. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're doing, it sounds like it's so instinctual. It's so, so intuitive, like, to you. Yeah. It has to work for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't work for you, that's okay, too. But that's the thing about being honest and true to yourself. It has to be, it has to work for you. Yeah. Ultimately. Absolutely. So you've, you've got many, many books. In your first book, how did that deal come come together for you? Well, what was my first book? Is it White Trash? Yeah, my, my first book was White Trash, and that was based on um, the music scene in 1977 and all of my friends like Debbie Harry from Blondie and the Talking Heads, David Byrne, mm. and um, uh, the Ramones and... Um, these were people that were just hanging out. You know what I mean? They were like, you could just go to the Bowery and you could go to the mud club yeah. and everybody was just there. It was real and of the moment. And so, uh, the publisher that I met, he had a publishing deal with Rolling Stone to produce books and it was a perfect match. So I just, I went to CBGB's like for three nights and just photographed pictures there. Then I mixed it up with pictures of Tennessee Williams, and put that book together, and that was my very first book. And I love doing books. I love taking the pictures, putting them together, making pagination, and and just um, making books. I mean, I've probably done like 25 or 30 books now. I mean, it's my favorite, favorite thing. Wow. I'm working on two books now. I'm actually working on a book of portraits, which is going to be difficult. The, the difficult part is editing these books because... Um, goes back to that thing about uh, excitedness, anxiety, wanting to show everything. Yeah. And when you do books, you have a limited thing. And for me, doing books and editing books is about the numbers. Somebody says, okay, you have 200 pages, and so you have to break it up. You have to say, well, 200 pages means I, I get to have probably 150 photographs. Yeah. So when you do that, that's very complicated. Yeah. Cause I like all my pictures. So editing them <laughs> and taking them down is hard. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to, I have a hard time editing my own work. It's, it's especially now that I've shot so much stuff over the last few years going back and just even trying to put together a portfolio or figure out what to put on my website. Or. That's where you have to have a good editor or somebody that you work with mm. that can walk you through that process and help you and say, that's not a good picture. Peter Weiss, who runs my studio and works on my pictures, he knows how to bring it down. I mean, um, sometimes I'll bring in a friend or sometimes mm. I'll work with Paul Soberg or in the case of a book that I did with exhibitionism, I'll trust people like Calvin Klein to come in because he has a different eye. Yeah. He'll see something different 
or I work with Marta Heller from the book publishing company Glitterati, or in the case of my art dealer, David Fahey of Fahey Klein Photography Gallery out in Los Angeles. Uh, we worked on a big Polaroid collaboration and he helped, he walked me through that collaboration. Mm. Um, so it's key to find like-minded people that you can, that you trust that, mm. that have your back on what you're doing. And so you have to find those friends, those collaborators, those confidants that you can hang out with and be around and do it double take and do a check on your friends every once in a while to see are they the people you want to be around are they encouraging you do you know how to encourage them it's really key mm. in the world of creativity not to just be around people that are small talk in your life yeah. small talk is totally unnecessary in one's life yeah i can't do small, i can't do small talk no <laughs> you yeah I mean, you know, you've been to enough of those galas and those dinners and stuff. That's hard. Ugh, it is. Yeah. It is. That's but we hard. met. We met. We yeah. met at Amphire, which was right. And that, well, Amphire is never small talk. Yeah, because it's such an awesome event. The people that are there are there for a good reason. So even if they fall into small talk, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I'm honored that you got in touch with me. Oh yeah. No. No. Well, I. You know, I told you, nothing slips by me. I like because I'm curious. I've been curious. So when I looked at your website, I, it was so curious that your website, granted, it is a photography website, but it's <laughs> dotted with a bunch of other things. And that curiosity made me want to reach out to you mm. and find out, like, well, what is this guy about? What? Who is he? What's really going on in his brain? Because I learned something from you without me even knowing mm. it. You know what I mean? And I, I learn something every day. And I would suggest to your listeners. Make sure that you've learned something mm. every day. Because if you go through days without learning stuff, your brain is going to kind of be empty. Just if you learn one thing at the end of 30 days, you've learned 30 new things a month. And at the end of 12 months, how many new things have you learned? So that's so key. You know, I, I tell people mm. that want to write books or, or do a book project, just write one page a month. And at the end of 30 days, you've got 30 pages you're going to do a book. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's just, it's back to my earlier remark about doing a book of 200 pages. Things get done. It's just about the numbers. Even now they're talking about, you know, a brokered convention. How many, how many delegates you have at that level of that crazy cockamamie thing that's going on out there. Mm. It's about the numbers. Yeah. And in our world, it's about the numbers. Do one creative thing every day. Make sure that that happens. And like I said, or write, if you, if you lead an interesting life, I know that you've led an interesting life. You told me stories about Usher and Justin Bieber and this thing and that thing. You should be writing that down, not just photographing it because they mm -hmm. won't let you publish those pictures, but write interesting stories about what it was like to fly down there. Mm. Or if it seems overwhelming, don't let it be over. Just sit in front of your computer, write a one page thing. And like I said, at the end of 30 days, you got 30 pages. It's great advice. Great advice. I you need know. to write stuff down more. I, 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 sometimes I'll write blog posts and, and different things, but yeah. definitely have to like, and this was practice. my interesting thing of the day. 
doing this with you. So you've helped me do my one thing today. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, what I mean? I'm glad I could help. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and one thing I noticed you're you're really good at is is talking about your art, and especially with other people. And I know that's a good skill. I have a hard time with it. But so that means you got to work on that because that's key to your personal success. Yeah. So which was my next question is what, what's your advice in talking about your own work when you're out in social settings? You know, you bring people into the studio, you're out talking to people on the street. And I guess what how do you talk about your art in a positive well, just way? Just get outside of yourself and just remember it's all in the end, it's all about business. If you want to make if you want to make a career for yourself and pay the rent every month, you can't just be in yourself. And also, you have to remember, people are not going to come up to you. They're not mind readers, you know. Unless you're wearing some crazy outfit or something, <laughs> maybe they make a they may come up to you, or they may be intimidated and not come up to you. But just learn your talking skills. Develop your talking skills. If that's something that is weak, find find out what your weaknesses are. And if one of them are a, uh, you know, like mm. I'm afraid to sort of start a conversation, find out what that lubricant is for you. Like, how do you do that? I mean, in your case, I, I would say for me, you're the way to get it to start talking to you is, oh, hey, <laughs> What are those rings about? Find something <laughs> on a person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And find, and then that's the way to break the ice. Like, oh, what a great tie. You know what I mean? Everything's like a pickup line, basically. <laughs> but for your career. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So practice those pickup skills. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's great. So if you're talking to somebody, if you met somebody on the street and you're telling them what you do, how do you describe your work? How do you, how do you enter into that? I barely describe my work, actually. I just say, well, I don't really pick up people on the street, but... Uh, <laughs> or, or, or in casual uh, conversation. <laughs> well, usually my reputation precedes me. Uh, I'm, usually in the, I'm usually in settings where people might know who I am. Mm. I don't just go to random places. And if I do go to random places... I have certain expectations about the people that invited me to those random places yeah. uh, so that there may be some continuity. Like I don't, I don't go to McDonald's or Wendy's. Or so. <laughs> so those places, you know, um, I usually find I'm at the point in my life where I like, I find I'm at places where that I, I'm not going to waste my breath. Like I knew that at the Amphar thing, what, whoever I talked to was going to be sort of interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess the key thing is don't put yourself in places that it's not going to work for you. Like stay out of fast food restaurants. <laughs> um, I would always suggest if you're flying, save up the money and don't travel in an economy because you're not going to meet anybody interesting there. At least try to upgrade to economy plus or at least business class yeah. because you meet better people there. Just in the country. Mm. I mean, all the people I know that travel always end up meeting somebody there. I yeah. mean, if you're traveling alone, yeah. it's the same thing. If you travel with somebody, it's not necessary because that you're not going to meet anybody. It's like when, you know, there's one guy and there's two girls, it doesn't work because the guy won't go talk to the two girls because usually that doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but um, <laughs> you got to make, you got to spend money to make money. So uh, mm. just eat in better restaurants, fly in a better class of service. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? It's sort of like you Absolutely. meet a better group of people. You yeah. Know? Well, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is put yourself into the right arenas, put right. yourself in the right circles, put yourself in the right 
Yeah, th- figure that out at the beginning and then yeah. practice your language skills. I, I guess this thing is go to, you know, if you're going to go to college, skip all those other classes, just go to diplomacy school, <laughs> go down to Wash- uh, to George Washington University in, in Washington, D.C., and go be- study to be a diplomat. Yeah. And then once you get that, then you can become anything as a diplomat. Mm, that's good. Bob Colicello, who ran Interview Magazine, he, that, he, went to, he went to that school and he, I mean, he is not a diplomat. I mean, he is because yeah. he he works for Vanity Fair and he knows how to talk to people. But mm-hmm. uh, go to go to some just <laughs> develop your skills of interaction, and yeah. that it's very hard to do nowadays because people are just interacting on social media, oh, and that's not really developing your social skills. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I run into, you know, going out and somebody's like, oh, what do you do? And I'll say, oh, I'm a photographer, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, oh, that's cool. And you're like, oh, and then I say, like, yeah, I photograph people. I photograph brands like Nike, Reebok, and then people like Justin Bieber. And, oh, oh, you're like a real photographer. And but isn't that good to hear? That's great. It's great to hear. Yeah. But I realize like how much I actually have to like dive in and clarify what that means because, you know, Everyone's a photographer to, these days. No, you don't, you don't have to clarify. You just have to keep <laughs> bragging. Just keep bragging about yourself. It's so important to brag about yourself. And mm. the, and if they're at all interesting, or maybe if they have something to do, they'll say, oh, I want you to come and do something with me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's great. You know, I mean, I'm impressed. So if I'm impressed, <laughs> I mean, it would be very easy to impress a lot of people that you hang around with, I'm sure. Yeah, and I guess I just forget sometimes, you know. You get but going that's the good news that you forget that you're that you're so into your own life and and what you do. That's so important to to be totally in in the moment, and that's good to forget. I often forget that I have a really substantive career. I have been around the block and I've been at the rodeo for a long time. Uh, but I, I'm not impressed by that. I mean, I'm I'm impressed to be here talking to you, somebody that you know, hung out with Usher and Justin Bieber. I mean, I think that's absolutely cool. It's not my world, but I'm happy that you've had these experiences. That means like you, you have a level of sophistication that's mm. a, I'm able to talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Finishing up here. What's your advice to your 20 year old self and 30 year old self? It's the same that I've been talking about. It's just be consistent to just understand who you are. It's so key. So, you know, it's, it's just take it to a basic thing. So many people get into these relationships that they'll say, you know, she completes me or he completes me. Nobody's nobody in, if you're in a relationship that that's what's happening, you know, like that person completes you, you have to first learn how to be complete yourself. Mm. And once you have learned that that principle about being complete, you are able to be totally creative where you don't rely on somebody else Mm. to complete your artwork, your persona, who you are and learn who you are. And once you, you've done that, you are free to be totally creative. You're free to love somebody else. You are free. And it takes a Mm. long time for people to understand that. And once you understand that principle, success starts to come to you and it comes, you just, as I said, throughout this conversation is it's continuity. It's, it's straightforwardness. It's be really who you are. Don't be Mm. afraid of who you are. It might be hard sometimes to be who you are. And so many examples in the public arena, you see people like Bruce Jenner. It took him 40, 50 years to be who he was. 
finally, when he was 60, he realized I need to be this person. It took such a long time, but he ultimately did become who he was. That's an extreme example. But if the sooner you can find out who you are, the more success you will have. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And one last question I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Just what I just said, to be inspired by yourself. Beautiful. Beautiful. And where can people find you, follow you on it, on social media and find your, find your work? Uh, it's Christopher Makos on Facebook, uh, Instagram. It's Christopher Makos. It's my name everywhere. Perfect. You know, Perfect. Just, it's easy to find me. I'm Great. easy. My, it's very, I Make yourself easy and accessible. If, if you want success, don't hide behind things. Yes, absolutely. Well, Christopher, I absolutely thank you. I acknowledge you for the, the, the difference and the impact that you've made in the art world. It's, it's amazing. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Christopher Makos. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And go check out the photos we took of him in his studio. You can get a sense of what it's like on the show page, shoptalkradio.com slash EP83. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us out by sharing the episode on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever social media is your choice. And... I always enjoy hearing from you guys. It's always great feedback. It's always great to hear that people are listening and I'm adding value to your life. So with that, go out, create your life through creating every moment and we'll see you next time.